Hello, and welcome to What is Innovation? The podcast that explores the reality of a word that is in danger of losing its meaning altogether. This podcast is produced by Outlast Consulting, LLC, a boutique consultancy that helps companies use innovation principles to solve their toughest business problems. I'm your host, Jared Simmons, and I'm so excited to have Heather Ray. Heather Ray has over 20 years experience in the field of leadership development as an executive coach, talent management consultant, and sought after group facilitator. She has worked extensively with high potential and senior leaders and is often sought out for her expertise in design thinking, leadership presence, mindfulness-based emotional intelligence, and navigating complex influence challenges. Heather is a transplant from California and Colorado to Minnesota. She loves being active outdoors, paddleboarding, running, hiking. Received her BS in Business Administration Finance from California Polytechnic State University in San Luis Obispo and her Master's in Psychology from Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. She's certified in a number of different fields in the, in the space of coaching, certified integral coach, certified facilitator of experience change and experience innovation simulations. It's just countless credentials to go through here, Heather, but I, I will save some of that for people to read in the, uh, in the notes of the episode, but welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Jared. Yeah, certainly. No, that's a mouthful. I, I apologize for no. requiring you to do that. Not at all. I was just uh, impressed as I was reading. <laughs> so it's just uh, amazing. So excited to have you here. I, I know you're a great coach and a great facilitator and, and, and just a great person to know. And I'm, I'm excited about today's conversation. So happy to be invited to talk about uh, topics that are close to my heart and exciting experiences that I've had. And um, just thank you for the invite. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's dive in. All right. What is innovation? Mm. So I'll give you a, a high level thought and then I'll kind of have a little twist on it. If you All will. right. So I think it, at its most essential, innovation is really how we bring an idea to life, mm-hmm. bringing a possibility or a concept to reality. Mm-hmm. The twist I'll throw in it from the coaching lens is I think as it relates to coaching, that coaching is the innovation of the human being, the leader. Hmm. Um, thereby, we're focused on creating new processes, mindsets, capabilities to optimize the human experience. Interesting. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that uh, coaching is, is the innovation of the human being. How does that come to life for you in the context of, of a coaching engagement or a conversation with someone I mean, how do you find that shows up in that sort of environment? Mm, yeah, that's a, that's a wonderfully broad question uh, <laughs> in, in so many ways. You know, if I would, I would say there's different ways of thinking about that. The first would be my mindset and skills as a coach mm-hmm. are informed by a process for innovation called design thinking. So what I'm bringing to the interaction to start there's a lot of mindset and skills, right? There's the environment in the coaching relationship that I'm creating when I'm paying attention to, right? Mm-hmm. And then the real active part of coaching is a lot about experimentalism, right? Right. Trying things out, rapid prototyping, right? seeing what works, what doesn't. And that really feels like innovation for me. Yeah. And we're both coaches, Jared. So you know that a lot of the humans that we interact with and leaders 
they bring their own black and white thinking, which keeps them stuck. So true. And I think part of our role as coaches and innovators is to help them see beyond polarities and find a path forward, overcome obstacles and constraints. Right, right. And I think your design thinking mindset, uh, rapid prototyping, I mean, this is language that, you know, we used when I was a, you know, a consultant used, you know, when I was in research and development, all those things, bringing that lens the way you do to this experience, I think is innovative. And I, I also think it underscores the perceived difference between coaching and and consulting or doing the work or however people talk about it. A lot of times people perceive coaching as this sort of ephemeral, fluffy sort of thing. But I really like the way you apply these known technical concepts to this interaction because it is, it's it's the same, it's problem solving in a different form. So well said. Yeah, I I run into this misconception about coaching. That's not to say that some people maybe do have an ephemeral approach to coaching. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there are coaches that they put more emphasis on the artful conversation itself. Right. Which can yield some phenomenal insights for somebody. But for me, having a clear process and ensuring there's action and accountability and that we're moving towards solving problems and addressing challenges is really core right. to, to how I think about coaching. So mindsets, behaviors, these are the things we work on as coaches with, with human beings. Design thinking, people usually think of processes, tools, products as outcomes from that, from that, that approach. Mm. Uh, how, do, how do those things come together? Uh-huh. Yes. No, great point. I mean, just to go back to the core of what is design thinking or also called human-centered design, mm-hmm. we're taking the tools and techniques and process from um, designers and applying them to helping create new products or services, but also as I've extended to um, human growth and development and leadership development. So it, that's really important that in addition to the having the right tool and process, that the innovator or the coach has the right mindset, as you said. So a couple of those are maintaining a a mindset of optimism and possibility. Hmm. Another concept often we use in innovation is build to think. So we create something, we create an experiment or something to react to. And it's from that creation that we find a new path forward or new ideas. Right. Uh, Empathize with users. You know, I've trained a uh, a lot of internal folks and organizations to use design thinking. Mm-hmm. And what crops up all the time is this sort of expert mentality. <laughs> I know the solution. So when I go and interact with users, you're, you're laughing with knowing here. I know, yeah. Jared, <laughs> is that we go out and, and we maybe interview users, but they're, they're leading questions. We're looking for validation of how we see the problem. We're not truly able to put aside our own expertise and, and truly empathize, which means understand that user or that leader's true experience. Right, right. And that true experience, what does that truth look like? How does the consumer, the end user's truth come through differently than than maybe expertise? Right. And that's why we have to go actually look and see and interact with a user or leader in their situation. Mm -hmm. You know, to draw another correlation back to coaching whenever possible. I like to get out and be in my leader's milieu. Mm-hmm. How are they interacting with their team? Watch them give a presentation, see how they walk down the halls right. and truly understand what it feels like to be in their shoes. 
that sparks a slight aside here in my head about how you've been able to do this design thinking, take, bring this design thinking, rapid prototyping, eyes on immersive kind of data collection. How have you been able to continue to deliver high quality uh, impact in the COVID environment? So I imagine a lot of what you're doing had to go virtual. Was that a big shift for you? That's a great question. Yes, it's highly relevant. The work has gone, the main work that I deliver in helping organizations build capacity around innovation and design mm -hmm. thinking is through delivering uh, these simulations that are anywhere from 90 minutes to actually two full days where groups wow. can learn the methodology, actually go interact with users, build early prototypes and get some feedback on it. So there's a range of sort of solutions. And, um, you know, not all of that has been able to go virtual, sure. but the high level experiences have, and, and there's just needed to be innovation in how that's delivered mm -hmm. shorter modules. But in many cases, you know, introverts have benefited more from this delivery model. Yeah. I can, right. I'm going to attest to that. Yes. You yeah. can attest to that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, maybe there's some trade-offs around collaboration and the energy in a room, mm -hmm. but there also has been some gains and, uh, I, I found the experience to be more engaging than, than I would expect as an extrovert myself. Right, right. And I asked that question because I don't know your personality type, but... Now you do. <laughs> yeah, now I do. But having interacted with you and, you know, we've been uh, chatting, you know, I could imagine that, that that would be more of a transition for you personally than it would be for me because I, I do have a preference for introversion. And for me, it's it's allowed me to shift to pivot my energy. So the energy investment in certain spaces is not, not there anymore, but mm -hmm. um, I could imagine that the source of energy for coaches who, you know, have more of a preference for extroversion, I can imagine that might be a bit more of an investment now in a virtual world. Yeah, well said. I agree with that. I have to say, generally, the work has contracted. I mean, it hasn't stayed the same, mm -hmm. but now we're transitioning and things are opening up. And I think organizations want to reconvene as groups because they know that there's a lot of value from that. Yeah. 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 I'll be fascinated to see where everything lands. Right. Everybody's talking about going back somewhere, but there's no, that's not how humanity works. Right. You know, we're not going back. It'll be interesting to see where things land, you know, in this now continuum of virtual versus in person and how things sort of shake out in the coaching world. Yeah, I mean, this is one giant experiment and there's mm -hmm. a lot of innovation I'm seeing with my clients and huge variability in um, organizations in terms of what they think about coming back full time to the workplace and some that are completely virtual and hybrid. I think there's going to be a lot of learning and interesting insights that just come from this experiment that we've been in. For my world, though, you know, I there's definitely more comfort with virtual and a coaching mm -hmm. conversation. And there was, but it's, um, it's even more accepted now. And so it's easier to connect with leaders globally, certainly across the U.S. in this format. Right, right. Yeah. You feel, though, I, I feel, I don't know what you feel. I, I feel that it seems that I, that difference in terms of being able to, to um, hold someone's attention mm -hmm. and being able to kind of transition them into a conversation because people are coming from zoom meeting to zoom meeting to zoom meeting more than you know having that physical at least in in person they have the physical stand up walk out of this room go go to my office so i can meet with heather right but people seem to be popping in and out of things and and i find having to 
spend a few minutes kind of helping them transition into into the conversation is, is something that's that's different. I would agree with that. At the same time, maybe there's some benefit from seeing uh, my clients' cats and dogs that mm-hmm. create some more authenticity. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. <laughs> so there's some gains there. Yeah. Uh, but, but I've definitely been in coaching calls and on and on um, you know meetings with two or three individuals where I've had to tell people you're not focused right now. Mm-hmm. You can read mm-hmm. that they're not present, and um, it's just a different uh, kind of conversation when you have to do that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's going, like you said, it's, it's a grand experiment and uh, it'll be fascinating to see where things settle. I do think as with coming out of a lot of other, you know, global catastrophe, human level um, challenges like this, I think we'll end up in a better place ultimately if we're intentional about it. I agree. Yeah. So that was my rabbit hole. I like the rabbit hole. It's relevant. (laughs) Back to innovation. Mm-hmm. Well, that was about innovation as well. In terms of thinking about the outcomes, in terms of where you you want to head with design thinking and that space that you operate in, mm. one of the things I'm fascinated with from an innovation standpoint is outcomes. Mm-hmm. How do you help people think about those things and how to design the way they sort of interact with you around their outcomes? Let me take a shot at this and you'll tell me if I'm not answering your question, but I'll tell you what it sparks in me is that the, the outcomes from a coaching perspective that we need now that are becoming more important are not just skill development, like, Mm -hmm. oh, this leader needs to be better at strategic thinking, right? but because of the challenges of living in this VUCA world, if you're familiar with that term, volatile, Mm -hmm. unpredictable, chaotic and ambiguous mm-hmm. is that this environment and only compounded by COVID are creating much more complex, dynamic problems for leaders to solve. And so just adding skills doesn't lead us to the right outcomes, mm. but the right outcomes are what we call vertical development is changing a leader's mindsets and their level of development as humans and as leaders to be able to think differently, to meet the demands of our world's and our organization's challenges. So if I'm getting at what your question is, I mean, mm-hmm. more and more the outcomes I'm driving towards, it's, it's actually twofold. Is one, there is some pragmatic. People need help. They need right. to work on their resilience. They need to know how to build a high-performing team. That's horizontal development. But really what is being called for is this transformation of the individual and the leader mm-hmm. that allows us to solve and meet the challenges of our day, not just more complexity, right? all of the, the racial problems that we still have, the political problems, the problems of our environment. Yep. So I'm yep. more and more, I'm in the business of helping develop and transform leaders to meet the problems of our society today and tomorrow. Does that get at your question? It does. That is a different outcome right? than the way people thought about coaching two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. Correct. Um, and it, it's, it's driving at an outcome of else oversimplify it the way you said it was much better, but resilience uh, and the ability to adapt and respond to things. So thinking more about what the next problem will be versus solving the current problem. Mm, Or both. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Right. Right. Yes. Drawing more of a balance between the two. Right. Uh, Whereas I feel like um, a lot of coaching and consulting 
two, three years ago, five years ago, um, there's a lot of phone calls about, oh, this person has this problem or this person needs to get from here to here. Right. And I think the fact that you bring that broader outcome to the table as an objective mm-hmm. uh, is, is critical. And it's the key to sustained impact. And, and, and I'm sure it's something that your clients see as a unique differentiator uh, with working with you. Not everybody brings that point of view. Yeah, and sometimes it's covert, Jared. I have to say. Oh, it has to be. A lot of times, it has to be. I, 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 I have that. I, I, I know what you're saying. They've got their objectives, and right. you've got right. your objectives. Right. Mine is the change the world objective. Yeah. Right? Exactly. 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 It brings me back to just to keep weaving through these innovation terms. Mm-hmm. So for people who are familiar with one world or the other more than another, you know, one of the first steps in design thinking is define the challenge. Mm-hmm. And when you start with an innovation challenge, sometimes you have your executive leader saying, we just need this customer problem solved. And, and uh, sometimes they define it too narrowly, right? Just yes. like we're talking about a skills problem. And part of our job as an innovator and as a coach is to consider that individual problem within the next larger context, mm-hmm. their environment, their system. Because that's where, um, one, that's just important to make sure that we're designing and fixing the right problem or idea. So sure. just another way that we always have to think beyond how something's getting presented to us if we want to build a sustainable leader or processor mm-hmm. product. No, that's right. That's right. What's wrapped up in that, I think, are these, um, in my in market research days, we call them articulated and unarticulated needs Mm. and the the unarticulated needs are the ones where your insight your experience your expertise your external you know next level view of the problem allows you to hear those things in what you're you know hearing what you're seeing uh, and that's what informs your outcome list right Mm -hmm. and the articulated needs are the ones that you can more overtly work on because those are the ones that they're aware of and the ones that they have asked you to help them solve. Yeah, which of course brings me back to the really well-known quote by Henry Ford, right? If we had asked what people wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Like don't ask people what they need. They're not in the mindset and don't have the experience to be able to tell you what they need. Right, yeah, it's part of value working with someone like you for sure. You have such an active and broad set of hobbies uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I'm always fascinated with hobbies mm-hmm. because I, I think you, from an innovation standpoint, you can learn a lot about people and a lot about how they think from you know what they do with their spare time. And innovators are often very curious people. So, Love that. tell me about tell me about the, uh, Ashtanga Yoga. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'll talk about yeah um, Ashtanga Yoga, Ashtanga but and also yoga. that that yeah, I know people say it differently. Yeah. That's very close to uh, what's also probably relevant is I've been meditating for oh. 26 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I discovered mindfulness meditation in 1994. That's well before the rest of the world right. uh, caught on to it. That's amazing. And I would say it's been a super a covert superpower for mm. probably 15, 20 years of my life. And um, that sort of coupled with Ashtanga. So Ashtanga yoga is a more traditional form of yoga that comes from the Mysore region in India. And it's practiced, um, you know, with chanting and a, a set sequence of 
postures that advance through beginning, intermediate, and advanced. And you can actually spend 20 or 30 years just yeah. in the beginning primary series because it's that rigorous. <laughs> oh my goodness. Really, it's a demanding practice. Um, and I'm happy to say since COVID started, I've I've finally established a daily practice. So I practice nice. about 75 minutes every day. And wow. 75 minutes every day. Unbelievable. Right. And I have my meditation time. So I'm pretty committed to those practices. That is amazing. That's incredible. This Ashtanga yoga is the, this is the one with like Savasana and Trikonasana and, and all you're these. You're going to find all of those poses mm -hmm. in different schools like Iyengar and even, you know, then we have the, the strip mall version of core power. And I'm not well versed to even comment on a lot of those other ones, but sure. there's some standard poses, but they're in different, they're handled differently in different schools. Some are uh, a yoga teacher will just pick and choose a sequence that works for their class, but the Ashtanga approach is, is pretty, um, the methodology is pretty clear and, and you don't waver that much from it. I see. I see. I see. Interesting because that is a more, sounds like it's a more structured form of yoga, if I could, if I can say that. And it's interesting because what I find is a lot of innovators, innovative thinkers like yourself tend to have hobbies that have some amount of structure to them, but still create a creative element to it yes. and so to choose the ashtanga version of yoga you know to me it makes sense for you to choose one that still that has a bit more structure than average but it still has that element of flow and creativity to it well yeah and so i'll just throw another thing in there so i'm a dancer too so yeah. for me the ashtanga is the structure and the discipline and the form uh -huh. part of a practice and the dance is the creativity accessing um, spontaneous movement and self-expression. So for me, they're two sides of the same coin. One is like the training and the, the form and the other is the, then just showing up for the moment. Right. Creating from that. Right. Right. I play the piano a little bit, mm. not to the extent that, that, uh, you do yoga or, or dance, but for me, that's this, it's the same thing. It's the structure that then creates the freedom, mm. you know, within it. I love your intuition to go there with hobbies because I do think it takes a lot of work to be a good innovator and a coach. There's a lot of self-worth and practices so that we get out of our own way. We sort of clean the slate, mm -hmm. we ready ourselves to add value. And so for me, all those practices and mindfulness included help me manage my mind so that I can really bring a clear mirror to my interaction and add value. So these are all really closely tied in. And actually I extend mindfulness to a lot of leaders I, I coach because they need help kind of managing their mind and attention that they can focus on tasks and build emotional resilience. That's a whole other subtopic. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a, that's a great tie in. And I think it's something folks wouldn't necessarily fully appreciate outside of space because mm. there's a difference between giving someone advice mentoring them and coaching them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that, that just what you just described, the intentionality you bring to clearing the slate so that you can be fully present. You're the only agenda in the conversation is, mm -hmm. is theirs and, and you're there to mirror and a hundred percent listen. I, I think the, the energy expenditure, I, I think people would be surprised how, how draining it is to listen mm. intently. Mm -hmm. and respond and process and respond 
and you know look for opportunities and guide the conversation all those things that you're doing as a coach things that you're so expert at i think people would be surprised with uh, how much energy that takes i love that you noticed that because i i mean i i do think the artistry and the preparation is easy to miss on the outside mm-hmm. you know, i have people all the time come and want to take me to coffee and become a coach. Yeah. And I hear people <laughs> like, well, I'm good with people, yeah, exactly. you know? <laughs> exactly. And I'm very patient and encouraging. And I also try to sort of help them understand some of the, the pillars of development that we need as individuals to have those conversations. Because back to the being 100% sort of present for someone means we can't hide behind our expertise. If we slip into an advisor mm. mode and tell that leader what to do, there are times when they need some input about what to do. Sure. That's also a way that we protect ourselves because we're uncomfortable, mm-hmm. which is the first sort of red flag is that we're maybe not showing up in a way that's needed or required. It's going to optimize that leader's development. Mm. So we have to have expertise, but we have to just be open enough to know when the right timing is to bring that in and in the right way. And I think that that, that is an art. It is. It is. And, and uh, I think it's important to acknowledge it as such, because to, to your point, being good with people and having a Zoom account <laughs> is not enough to be a, <laughs> to, to be a coach. And, and I think it just, it just reinforces that it's a discipline that has levels and layers to it. You know what I mean? I mean, I think there's sometimes having, you know, come into this from, from other careers, sometimes there's this external view that you know, a coach is a coach is a coach. Oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to get a coach. And there's as much diversity in coaching as there is in consulting or any, any other, any other profession. And it's important to understand that there are people like you who bring a level of one expertise and two, just practice discipline Mm. to the whole thing. And not everyone brings that, that level of practice discipline to it. Just like in professional sports, you know, there's people who kind of wing it and there are people who prepare and, and do that, do things the right way. Yeah, no, I'm sure if we did a diagram of the key skills of being a coach that, yeah, being a sports coach or being a coach in different domains, that there are some transferable skills, but I think you have to have domain expertise. So if I'm coaching around leadership, I need to understand Mm -hmm. how leaders grow through an organization, the typical competencies. That is kind of one of the, the foundational requirements to do that. And also in the getting back to your outcomes question, which I love, I mean, if I'm in the business of helping to transform leaders and I'm not transforming myself by my commitment to my practices, I'm not going to get very far. (laughs) That's right. That's right. A lot of people say that it can be hard to coach people that are at a higher level of development than you are. Right. Mm. So it sort of keeps me in business that I do my own development work. Yes. (laughs) That's, that's a great point. That's a great point. And you enjoy it personally, I'm sure. Oh, yes. So it's a a win-win. Do you have fun coaching? Is it fun for you? Oh, I would say for the most part it is, but that's not to say that I don't have a lot of anxiety when I'm coaching a difficult and a difficult situation, Mm -hmm. but that just gives me something to work with. Right. I mean, the, the coaching I love to do now is leaders that are putting me on my growing edge, mm. right? And so that means they're facing challenges that I've had some experience with, but I'm not a master of. And so if I'm learning and growing, that means that I don't know everything yet. And there's some anxiety there, mm-hmm. uh, but those are the most gratifying situations where I feel like I've grown through the coaching engagement 
maybe not as much because I'm not paying them. Right, right. Um, but that I've I've grown as a professional. Right. But no, I I love it. It is. I feel so blessed to do this work of helping individuals and leaders become more of who they want to be and add more value to the world. I feel like it's making a difference. Mm, well said. Well said. Heather, any advice for for innovators out there, either folks outside the coaching space, folks who are considering coaching in any type, any, I know that's another broad question, but any <laughs> advice uh, for folks out there? You know, I guess what comes to mind, because uh, I've worked with a lot of people who have deeper innovation expertise, but maybe don't have the coaching background. And I think there's a lot to be learned from delving in, maybe taking a short coaching certification or a weekend to really have more practice building the mindsets mm -hmm, um, that mm -hmm. are conducive to both being a great coach and are transferable to innovation. Right. I think that would be one thing I would recommend. And then you're also saying for aspiring coaches. Yeah. It just occurred to me from our last conversation, um, you know, if, is, is there anything, uh, any advice for people, you know, someone wants to take you to coffee and tell you that they want, Yes. yeah. What's the, what's the coffee answer that you normally give? I would say, you know, I would, I would say I encourage anybody who wants to be a coach to be a coach, but to mm -hmm. have realistic ideas and to really embrace your own development first, get a coach, mm -hmm. understand the philosophical underpinnings of any coaching school, understand human development, be committed to domain knowledge in the space that you're going to coach in, really understand that it's taking on a new way of being, not just acquiring knowledge, mm. right? So yep. how we show up as a coach requires training, mm -hmm. not just putting new knowledge and techniques in our head. Right, right. That's good stuff. That's uh, such an important message for potential or, you know, coaches to be in and current coaches. Just a good reminder um, about what it takes to be expert in this profession and to show up every day in a, at a level of professionalism that makes this, um, this profession what it is. Thank you for that. Yeah. And, and just a plug too. I mean, I think the world is going to continue to need more coaches. There's just more opportunities to people to get coached yep. in shorter term ways. It's in some ways, maybe I don't want to say replacing therapy, but it's, a, it's very much adjacent mm -hmm. therapy and coaching are sort of bleeding over. So like if you think about life coaching or even organizations like better up that have provided coaches for everyone in an organization, whereas it used to be just for leaders and executives. So I just encourage anybody who's excited about the profession to get serious about it because we're, we need more people to help us all be better. Well said, well said. Heather, I appreciate you making the time and I appreciate your, your friendship and I'm glad that we've had a chance to stay in touch over the time we've, uh, we've known each other and uh, hopefully we can have you back to talk a bit more. I mean, feel like we just scratched the surface on, on so many different things. We did, thank you. It was my pleasure. And I'm hoping we get to actually have lunch together in person. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes yes, something to aspire to for sure. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Jared. All right. Take care. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this week's show. You can drop us a line on Twitter at Outlast LLC, O-U-T-L-A-S-T-L-L-C, or follow us on LinkedIn where we're Outlast Consulting. Until next time, keep innovating, whatever that means. <laughs>